Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Good morning. Wow. The presence of the Lord is all over this place. Let's, let's just pray for a minute. Father God, thank you for your word that says where two or three of us gather together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And Lord, we feel your presence. And Lord, we declare that you have come from where you were speaking with the Father about us. And we want to know what you were talking about. And so, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. Allow us to hear what you want us to hear in Jesus' name. And Lord, we declare that we live and we move and we have our being in, your, in the context of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay, my name is Rick Heron. I'm part of the team of Transform Our World. I've been a spiritual son of Ed Silvoso for 30 years. I met him in 1992 in Argentina, and uh, at the time I was in the 25th year of my business career. The Lord called me to leave my business career. I laid down a six-figure income to become a missionary, and the Lord has paid the bills for 30 years. I mean, I don't know if you can grasp what that's like. I, I have such a sense that my daddy can take care of anything. And I, I, I really hope that there's an impartation of that to you. You don't have to be a missionary to come to that kind of place that you trust the Lord for your daily bread. He is your Jehovah Jireh. Okay, can we have that slide? I'm not controlling the slides, right? And hopefully you'll be able to copy that. The reason I bring these slides is not that I don't know what to say, but I want to have them so you can have a record of what I said. And... Uh, the, the, the context here, which Ed Silvoso has brought to us, is that the, the, that the river of transformation has to have banks. You know, if you don't have banks, you don't have a river. It, it, bank, a waterway without banks is called a swamp. And it's got wonderful ecological benefits, but doesn't necessarily make anything move. A river has movement, but it's actually the banks that allow it to move. And, and what are the two banks? The two banks I'm going to talk about today are the five pivotal paradigms of nation transformation, and the second presentation will be on the biblical principles of prayer evangelism. And I'm going to do it rather quickly so that you can get to the point where you can, um, where you can ask questions. This is great because I can look over there. Okay, the first of the five pivotal paradigms has to do with what? We are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. That comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And a lot of people have an idea that that scripture is only for individuals. We believe that it actually applies to nations. It's in, in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. You talk about Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Pancho Morguillo, the pastor of that whole, what we call a prototype, ended up with such favor with the government that they allowed him to, 
lead the 6,000 members of the city employees into what they call advanza sin transa, which is advance without bribes. Bribes in Mexico were a major problem, but the city wanted to change that, so they, they allowed the pastor to come. Guess what he did? He taught them based on the word of God. They didn't wave Bibles in front of anybody, but they basically were teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught us. I think it's such a, such a wonderful concept. Okay, so that's the first point. The second point is the why. The marketplace, which is business, education, and government, has been, which is also the heart of the nation, has been redeemed. It was redeemed by Jesus Christ. But now it needs to be reclaimed by his belief, by his followers, by his, by his church. And, and the scripture there is the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what was lost in the Garden of Eden? The first thing that was lost was the relationship between Adam and Eve and the Father. The relationship with God and man was broken. The second thing that was lost was the relationship between Adam and Eve. And you only have to go one more generation and Cain kills Abel, right? So there is a breakdown in the relationship between us, people, people, horizontally. But there's one more thing that was lost the marketplace. The, the ground was cursed, and from then on, uh, uh, Adam was going to have to work through the sweat of his brow and contend with thorns and thistles in order to make a living. We need to reclaim the marketplace. We need to get out of the four walls of our church buildings and be salt and light in the earth to bring transformation to society. That's what this talk is all about. Okay, the third point, how? Everyone is a minister. Everybody in the room who is a minister, raise your hand. Should have 100% of the hands up. Even those young people that were here, are they still here? Did they go out for... Okay, but I'm just saying, you know, out of the lips of children and infants, he has ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. I think kids are a, are a secret weapon. <laughs> and I'm so glad. That you obviously have that in mind when you treat your teenagers that way. They can be transforming their schools, not just going there to learn something, but go there to be a presence. Okay, and labor is worship. And the scripture we use for that is Colossians 3.23. You know, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That means you could be a physician and take somebody's appendix out in a surgery uh, procedure and do that to the glory of God. You could, be a, you could be a customer service clerk in a manufacturing company and receive a call from an irate customer and do that as an act of worship to the Lord. Next slide, please. The where. We are called to take the kingdom of God to where the gates of hell are for Jesus to build his church. We're not supposed to stay away from the gates of hell. We're supposed to go there on purpose because the only people who can say the gates of hell will not prevail against us is the body of Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you haven't got a chance, right? But I'm saying to you, show me where the gates of hell are operating in your city. I want to go there and show you how easy it is to defeat them. You need to get that kind of confidence. 
And, and Matthew 16, 18, and 19 says that Jesus Christ is building his ecclesia. And we use the word ecclesia a lot. You'll probably hear me say it over and over. That's the Greek version that was translated into, in, in, into church. We actually like ecclesia a little better. Not that this is anything about the organized church, but we like to say where two or three of us gathered together in the name of Jesus, ecclesia is in operation. Doesn't have to be on Sunday morning, does it? Okay, and, and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And then he's giving us the keys to the kingdom that we can lock and unlock anything that we need to make things happen in society. Okay, next slide, please. And the last slide is, so what? If we're going to do all this stuff, what's the bottom line? What's, what's the difference that we did it after all? And, and, and the concept here is that nation transformation must be tangible, and the primary social indicator is the elimination of systemic poverty. I'm saying there are systems of poverty. I believe there was a system of poverty that was implemented by the Europeans in Africa. And, and you know what the antidote is? Acts 4.32 through 35. They were one heart, one soul, and they held their possessions as if they weren't theirs alone. And if anyone had a need, somebody who had resources liquidated them, brought them to the apostles' feet, and the apostles carried them to where the need was, and no one lacked anything. Do you live in a society where no one lacks anything? That means we've got to go somewhere, right? And I'm saying that's one of my favorite scriptures. And, and you know what happens when you do that? Great grace was upon them all. It was on the givers, it was on the receivers, and the apostles who passed the money between the two of them. Great grace was upon them all. And then the apostles proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ with great power. Ah, oh, I'm saying there's a lot of good stuff. That shows you we've got, some, we've got an arsenal of tools to overwhelm that which was negative that was thrust upon us. I'm going to shift to the other set of slides if you would, please. I'll try and do this fast. Can you put the PowerPoint, the PowerPoint? The second topic, I want the second bank of the river is called prayer evangelism. Actually, the first bank of the river is the vision for transformation. If you don't get the big picture, you, you won't understand where we're going with the other side, which is the how to do it, okay? Prayer evangelism is the how to do it. Thank you for getting those slides up. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 is the starting point. Paul says, first of all, through prayer, supplications and prayers and intercession of, and giving of thanks, pray for everyone. We've got a prototype in Newark, New Jersey, where they work to adopt and pray for every neighborhood in the street in, in, in the streets in the city of Newark, New Jersey. This was the murder capital of America. When they got 100% of the streets adopted, they had the first murder-free month in 40 years. Does that sound like prayer works? I'll tell you what. If you still, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me not say that until a minute from now. But anyway, we, we pray for everyone and for kings and all those in authority. I, I, I'm not real fond of the President of the United States, but I'm still blessing him because of that scripture. 
Okay? I don't, I don't think we, it doesn't say in the scriptures that we have to like the people who are in political offices to bless them. In fact, I think it's probably true that they have more powers and principalities gathered around their political office than any of us do. So our speaking peace to the president and the officers of the government is a way to help them deal with the spiritual warfare that they have to deal with. And when we do this, we lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. That's a spiritual climate change. That's what this talk is all about, how to change the spiritual climate in Lagos, Nigeria. And by the way, I want to tell you, I just love the Nigerian people. I have fallen in love with you. I am so grateful that you allowed me to come and meet you today because it's really a treat for me just to look. The worship was fantastic. The worship was fantastic. I just got immediately swept into the presence of the Lord. Okay, let's go to the next slide. The, the second slide here is going to show, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know why all men can't come to the knowledge of the truth? Who knows the answer to that? I'll tell you why. Here's the, here's the, here's the slide. Next slide, please. It's because... Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ who is the image of, in the image of God. Who's the God of this age? Hello? Satan. Is he, all, is he omnipresent? No, he can't be everywhere all at the same time. So how does he keep billions of people in spiritual darkness? He's got a bunch of powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness that are out there keeping people in, in darkness. Next slide, please. That brings us to Luke 10. After these things, and you wonder why after these things is the beginning of a, of a chapter, they're pointing back to Luke 9. And, and Jesus commissioned the 12 to do what I'm going to tell you he told the 70 to do in Luke 10. But the, the 12 didn't get it. In fact, in, in, in Luke 9, verse 53, the, the disciples, two of his best guys, asked Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and burn up the, the Samaritans who are not acknowledging who you are? And he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. In other words, he's saying you're, he's not complimenting them on their anointing. <laughs> He's, he's basically saying, you're following the, the devil. So after these things, he appoints 70 others, and he sends them out two by two into every, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The point of this slide, I think, is you go into your neighborhood first, and he'll follow you in there once you've prepared the way. Like I said, in Newark, New Jersey, how did, how did the first murder-free month in 40 years happen in that city? It happens because a whole bunch of people, just like you and me, went out and took responsibility for the city they lived, the streets they lived in. Okay, next slide, please. The, you said the harvest truly is great. Can you say that? The harvest is truly great? The harvest is truly great. In Lagos, Nigeria? 
okay, let me just speak again. Now, you've seen the scripture says, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I say, behold, lift up your eyes and see that Lagos, Nigeria is already white in the harvest. Nothing wrong with the harvest. The, the challenge is we need to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send us into the harvest field. We have to have such heart of compassion for the people that live there who don't know him that we will go there until we see them fall in love with him just like we have. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send his laborers out. And I love this slide. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Anybody think that lambs like hanging around with wolves? What do you call lambs that hang out with wolves? Lunch. Okay? And I think there's a lot of Christians that believe this is dangerous business. I'm going to show you some slides in a minute that will show you there is nothing to worry about, folks. <laughs> you have to have God's heart of compassion for the wolf. And the wolf has more to be concerned about than you do. Next slide. Oh, you got it. Thank you. There's four points that are in Luke 10, verse 5 through 9. The first is blessed, the second is fellowship, the third is minister, and the fourth is proclaim. Now, let me just stop and speak. The first is blessed, that's a shorthand for speaking peace. Verse 5 says, first, speak peace to this house. The seventh verse basically says, eat and drink everything they set before you. You're talking about the wolf feeding you. Isn't that unusual? Okay? You, you have to have an understanding that when you speak peace, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about speaking peace in a minute, the spiritual climate will change, and you will then be able to fellowship with the wolf. When you get into that fellowship, don't talk, listen. They will give you clues about what it is that you need to minister to them, which leads you on, we call it that felt needs. Okay, find out what their felt needs are. Then you move to the third point, which is minister. His scripture actually says, heal the sick there. Well, if it's a sickness, then ask them if you can lay hands on them and pray for their felt need. We have a pastor in Phuket, Thailand, went into the chief of police, and he, and he says, I'd like to pray for, uh, what is your biggest felt need? And he said, we haven't had an increase in the staff for 10 years, and we're, the police officers are really getting tired. So, so the pastor says, so you need more police officers? And he said, yes, we do. And I said, can I put my hand on you and talk to my God about your problem? He stepped back and he said, listen, I'm a Buddhist. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to pray in Jesus' name. And the pastor says, I'm not asking you to pray. You can read a paper if you want. I'm the one that's going to pray. I'm just asking you for permission. He gave him the permission, he put his hand on his shoulder, and he asked God for more police officers for that police department. A couple days later, the police chief called the pastor and said, your God works fast. <laughs> I just got an email from Bangkok, the, the capital city, authorizing me to hire 7,000 police officers. Now guess who's on, in church on Sunday morning? who wasn't thinking about there. That's what we call a demonstration of the spirit and power. 
right? Paul said, I did not come to you with persuasive words of human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith wouldn't be on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Once you minister, they see the power. Then you can say to them, like the pastor said to the chief of police, you know why that just happened? The kingdom of God just paid a house call in your department. How did he get there? I brought him. Next slide, please. Let me talk about why you're qualified to speak peace. This is maybe the key to the whole strategy. And, 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 and the way that, that I, I think of this, one day I was doing some intercession in a company, and the Lord gave me a revelation of uh, 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 4. You know the story. The Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. They take the Ark of the Covenant into the Temple of Dagon, which is nothing more than a demonic art object that the Philistines worshipped. It was half man and half fish. And so they put the Ark of the Covenant in that room. The next day they came in, the statue's fallen down. They put the statue back up again. The next day they come in, the statue's fallen down and broken in pieces. And right there, when I was doing this intercession, the Lord said to me, Rick, what was in that box called the Ark of the Covenant? I said, well, you were in that box, Lord. You, you're not confined to that space because you're omnipresent. You can be anywhere you want all at the same time. But I think the principle you're trying to get me to understand is that when you bring the presence of God in contact to the, with a demonic, you're not talking about a contest between two equal superpowers. You won't ever lose one of those battles. Then he says to me, what's in this vessel, Rick? And I said, well, when I accepted you as my Savior, you came and took up residence in me. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, the life I live. I live by faith of the Son of God who lived and died for me. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I guess that would make me a mobile Ark of the Covenant. And, and I, Lord, I pray that everyone in this room will receive an impartation right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive it that you are a mobile Ark of the Covenant, that when you walk someplace, you carry the presence and the power of the living God into that place. The spiritual climate ought to change just because you showed up in Jesus' name. I'll give you an example of that. I was in a restaurant in, in Florida one time with two of my friends were having dinner. The waiter came to the table and I said, we'd like to pray for you before we pray for the food. And, and he said, oh, I don't really have any needs. So he left. A lady for a couple of booths away got out of her chair, came over to our table and said, I couldn't help noticing that you were praying for your waiter. Could, could you pray for me? My husband and I have been trying to have a baby for years without success. Oh, would we love to. You know what it says in Luke 16, 16? says they were pressing their way into the kingdom of God. They saw something they couldn't get anywhere else, and they came running. Oh, would I love, can we take hands with you? Can we, I always say, if I can get my hands on them, the presence of God is going to be released. You are a mobile ark of the covenant. And if you go, those kids go to this mobile arks of the covenant into their schools, the school change. I, I took a, kid, a high school kid in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, into a school. His dad was with me. And we went into school, and we came into the school. And I said, now, as we got in the door, I said, now take the door and open the door up one more time and repeat after me. 
Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I open this door and I declare that you are coming into our school. You know, it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. So this high school kid, he's got spiritual authority in that school. He opens the door and invites Jesus into the school. I'm telling you, Jesus showed up big time. Jesus showed up big time. So we need to, we need to understand that as young people, we're not just ordinary people. Oh, I'm not like my pastor. No, we can be carriers of the presence of God. I can't see my slides anymore, so I'm just going to look at the slides up there. Um, okay, speaking peace opens the door to fellowship with the wolf, and, and we listen for felt needs and receive revelation. Next slide, please. Once you know that felt need, once you have the revelation, ask them if you can talk to your God about their need, just like the pastor in Phuket, Thailand did. And I look at this as an example of John 14, 12 through 14. Whoever believes in me will do what I've been doing. In fact, it will do even greater works than this because I go to the Father. Do you really understand what that means? That means you're going to raise the dead. You're going to turn water into to wine. I mean, I don't know that we have a complete grasp of what it's like to do the works that Jesus did and to do even greater works than these. The, the pastor in Phuket, Thailand, he's got grandmothers that are raising the dead. He, he did a prayer meeting with the chief of a tribe in that city, and, and, and they had just had a tsunami. They didn't have any wood to build boats. So the pastor ran around all of the, all of the lumber yards trying to find wood there's no wood because it all got washed away in a tsunami. So he comes back to see the chief of the tribe, and he says, the chief says, why were you going to lumber yards? Didn't you tell me your God can do anything? And the pastor said, oh, no, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? So he said, okay, we'll pitch a tent on the beach, and we'll just start praying. We'll pray all night if necessary. If we get tired, we'll go to sleep in the tent. After a while, he went to sleep in a tent, and after a while, the, the chief comes and wakes him up and says, Pastor, Pastor, you got to come out and see what happened. He goes out next to the tent as a whole stack of wood cut in the shape of a boat. Now, that may sound preposterous. In fact, Pastor Brian tells me that he has more trouble in people believing that he got wood from heaven than he raised the dead. I don't have any problem understanding it. I got to tell you, I'm like a 77-year-old teenager. <laughs> I believe anything's possible. <laughs> okay. Uh, whoever believes in Jesus will do greater works than Jesus did. Heal the sick. It doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal the sick. I'm telling you, I'm really, I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on, a, on a campaign to get people to take that literally. We are the ones... Remember the lady with the issue of blood? She had to crawl on her hands and knees to touch the hem of his garment so that the anointing could be released into her. I don't have to crawl on my hands and knees. He's in me. He's in you. That's the power. When we lay our hands on somebody, that's the power that has brought into their lives. Next slide, please. And then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. How did that happen? I brought them. Next slide, please. It's the same concept I just said. Okay, 
Going to 17, here's the part I told you about. The, oh, this is about the spiritual climate change. The 70 return with joy. They're rejoicing. What a thing to be rejoicing about. The demons are subject to us in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said a word about demons to them. He told the ones in Luke 9 about demons. He didn't say a word about demons to these folks. This is the evidence that they did the supernatural. But Jesus says, you think that's good? Wait till you see what I saw. Look at the next slide. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of the heavenly realms. In other words, while you were doing something down here at street level with the demons, you were actually removing whatever jurisdiction the, the powers and principalities had over your city. And when they fell like lightning, everything changed. Pastor Mugia in, or Pastor Brian Burton in Phuket, Thailand told me that they used to have a shaman that would come to town and he would channel demons into the teenagers for money. Talk about things you don't want your teenagers doing. Anyway, when the spiritual climate changed, the shaman came back to town. He couldn't get a single kid to come and seek demons, channel demons. That's, they knew they had seen something happen because things that were evil were no longer feasible. Next slide, please. Now, here's the part I want you to really grasp right here at the end. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any means hurt you. Isn't that a great verse? I just love that verse. I, when I go out and I'm dealing with stuff that are, you know, maybe a little scary, I remember that verse. Nothing shall in any way harm me. I'm a mobile ark of the covenant. I'm carrying the power and the presence of the living God into that place that I'm going. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me see the next slide if there's another one there. Nope, that's it. I'm, I'm going I'm to pray a prayer of invitation, and then if there's a little time for some questions, I don't know if there is, but if there is a little time, I'm happy to answer questions if you'd like. Would you stand up, please? And, and I'd, like you to, I'd like you to really let faith rise in your heart, because I didn't come here to make a speech. I came here to change a nation. I came here, not that I'm going to change the nation, you're going to change the nation. But I, like we like to say, like Ed Savos likes to say, I want to be software and you're hardware. We know how to do it, but you're the ones that have to do it. So if you just put your hands out in front of you and close your eyes. Father God, I come boldly into your throne room of grace because that's where we find mercy and grace in our time of need. And Lord, I declare that every person in this room is a mobile ark of the covenant. And they are going to walk in, in a way they have never walked before. They're going to walk in the fullness of the confidence that you are going to, with them. And that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, but you've delegated it to them. And they will walk in the context of that authority. Lord, I also pray, and I didn't speak to us before, but out of the, uh, Matthew 9, 36, Jesus looked at the multitudes 
And he was moved with compassion because he saw that they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Lord, yesterday we were talking about how to minister to Muslims. If you don't love the Muslims, you're not going to be able to minister to them. I pray that this would really hit home, that you would come to a place where God would put his love so deeply in your heart, his compassion so deeply in your heart, that you would begin to love people who are not lovable normally. Why? Because you can't bless somebody you don't like. You can't bless somebody you don't have compassion for. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray also that you'd release a nation point of view, that you would cause each person in this room to start saying, it's not about just leading people to the Lord. It's about changing Lagos, Nigeria. It's about changing Nigeria. Yes. It's about changing the world. Yes. 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 In Jesus' name, receive it. Amen. In Jesus' name. Uh, again, please be seated. I'd be glad to answer any questions if you'd like to ask them questions. We have time for that? Okay. Ten minutes is great. If I can just answer a couple questions, I'd be glad to. Oh, another mic. Let me, while we're doing that, before we get to anybody to recognize, we have prototypes all over the world. Transform Our World is a global ministry headed by Ed Savoso. My personal responsibility is to work with people in Africa to help them transform their cities and their nations. So I didn't come here just to, this isn't an occasional drop-in. I'm going to spend a lot of time in Nigeria. I'm going to spend a lot of time in Africa trying to mobilize the troops of the body of Christ. And I love you. <laughs> Amen. Okay, who's got a question? I threw a lot at you pretty quick. Pastors, do you have a question? I think the, there's, um, there's existential problems that many people carry every day, like existing in a difficult city you know that's the first question how do you jump over that those problems you have like you know in a difficult city where moving around money business carrying those problems vis-a-vis -vis this call of god that you hear god is asking uh, people to respond to how do we how do we what, what's, the, what's the process that you're going to use to encourage people who may be struggling with where they are right now and stepping out by faith to begin to answer that call? And in what small ways can they answer this call? Because for someone who is just beginning, it may seem very high. So it's two questions in one. But if, you know, like, how can I rise above my difficulty? And also, in what small ways can I take action? Amen. Yeah. Let me, let me just first say, you mentioned Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Yes. When we came to Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, every morning, 38 people are laying dead on the street. Every morning. I don't know if you're doing that in Lagos, but I'm saying 38 people a night is a lot. Okay? So we found one pastor. Only one pastor. We like to say we're like a virus. Just give us a pour and we'll find our way in. I think we're speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's the one that wants his way in. 
But we found a pastor, Pastor Pancho Murguia, and he gave us a, a door into Ciudad Juarez, and he allowed us to become software in his hardware. And he then went to all the other pastors and got them interested in this, and then they got their congregations involved in it. And so, again, I think the point is that you're the ones that are going to do this. And I think the, the leadership has to come from the pastors, okay? But they've got to see value, and that's why I spend some time covering the scriptural basis for this. And once you get the, the sense that this is from the Lord, then we can show you. All. We, we have a, what we call an ecclesia accelerator, uh, which is how to build ecclesias out of every single person in your congregation. And it's an online platform. So as long as you can get access to the online platform, um, uh, Let me. Evelyn has, uh, and, and Ochuco have already, how many people have gone through the Ecclesia Accelerator? In, in over 60 people. In, in Nairobi, Kenya, we've got 1,000. And I'm saying, I, I don't think negatively. Do not disdain the day of small beginnings, right? I believe that's why I'm coming here today that hopefully you can all join with Evelyn and Ochuco to begin equipping your saints to do the work of ministry. It's a 10-week online program, and it's very practical. It's kind of like what you're saying, how do I do what I need to do? I can't probably equip you with it all in one sentence, but I, I'm saying if you can get involved in the Ecclesia Accelerator and get your P and I say pastors, do it first, Right? Be the ones to show the way. And, and again, we're not trying to dismantle the local church. We're saying to say the local church can be the basis that this is successful. And we say, start with a group of 10 people. Then we say, okay, now those 10 people go out and find 10 more people, and then they become the leader of those people. That's a pretty simple step. Now those other 10 people, who you don't even know probably, have gotten educated in the, in the process, and then they go get 10 more people. In Honolulu, Hawaii, they've got a 1,000 now in Honolulu, Hawaii. One city called Nanakuli has been totally changed. There's, a, there's a, a, a person who's the pastor of the police department. The police department and the people in Nanakuli were at odds with one another. And, and now the, the pastor inside the police department has gone through the accelerator, has gotten educated in how to be an ecclesia in the police department, helping other police officers see how to do it, and now the people in the police department are starting to love each other. What an amazing step. What an amazing step. So there's, there's, there's lots of little anecdotes that we can teach you, but it's probably best to do it in a very thorough way. And the way to do that, and here's another thing that's in the ecclesia accelerator. In the sixth week, we, we, dealt, we deal with something called strongholds. Thoughts, perceptions, and mind. In fact, Edsel also has a, a definition of strongholds. They're, they're uh, anything that holds itself up against the knowledge of God. He said, well, what's, can, you help, can you help me with that? Part, a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that are contrary to the will of God. So whenever I sniff hopelessness, and I've, I've sniffed it quite a few times, I'm saying there's a stronghold operating there. Somebody's believing a lie. They're not believing the truth. 
And people in the body of Christ can be stuck. In fact, we've had, I've seen several pastors with over 40 years of service pastoring their church talk on, in public and say, I discovered I had a stronghold. How helpful when the people see their own pastors making that testimony. And how much, how much better. There's a couple that I think is related to you, was here in Nigeria that went through this, and the husband and wife were kind of not doing well as a couple. They went through this together, and the Lord removed the strongholds for both of them. And, and now their marriage is just amazing, and Evelyn knows them very well. So that's a pretty s small step, but it's a very significant one. Because if you have trouble at home, you're not going to be very good at transforming society. In fact, we say transformation needs to start at home. In, in Hawaii, in fact, they've got a, a, a number of people where there was pastors who were going to church and being the paragons of virtue and coming home and beating their wives and their kids. And it was a, a generational stronghold. They, they went through this training. The strongholds were identified. They removed them. Guess what? These are now people that are giving their testimony in public as how their marriages, how their families have been resurrected by the power of God. That's real stuff. Now, I don't think those are small steps, but I'm saying that's the kind of thing you learn in the accelerator. Okay? Amen. And, and I, I really hope that this can really get some traction here because just think if we said we could get every block in Lagos, Nigeria to have a representative from the body of Christ, Lagos, Nigeria will get changed. Did you have a question? We, we have a question online, so we'll take oh. that first and, okay. then, and then we'll give it to her. Go ahead. Um, says, how do you show compassion to people who are against everything you stand for and are actively working to make the nation the same? Well, that's a good question. Thank you, Ola Tundi. Uh, and thank you for the person that brought the, the question through. That's why I, I prayed that over you, because I, this is not an intellectual decision, right? You need to have God's heart of compassion for the lost. When I first went to Argentina, where Ed Savoso is from, in 1992, all the pastors that came to see us, they all quoted Matthew 9:36. Jesus looked at the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion because he saw they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then they would lay hands on us and pray for us, imparting the same thing. I'm saying, pastors, this is, this, is, this is not normal behavior. This is not normal behavior. But I'm saying, I flew home from that conference in 1992. I could not walk by lost people anymore. I don't care whether they're, they like me or they don't like me. I had, a heart, I had God's heart of compassion for them. And I've, I've just prayed that over you. I pray that will be a starting place, but it's not the ending place. We really need to focus on it. That, that is, I think, a critical success factor to doing what it says in Luke 10. You have to have God's heart of compassion. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of words. If you don't love the people you're... I had a next-door neighbor who didn't like me at all. Every time I drive into my driveway, I'd stop short of the garage, and I'd look at his house, and I'd speak peace into that house. I'd, I'd have people over at my house for a prayer meeting. At some point, we'd, I'd ask them to stand up, face the fireplace, and, and extend their hands toward the fireplace because my neighbor's house is right behind the fireplace. 
and I wanted to bless him. One day I came and drove into my driveway and I stopped as I normally do on the apron and the lady, his wife, comes out of her, out of her house, onto, my, onto her grass, onto my driveway, and she says, my husband's going to have carotid artery surgery. You know, that's where they do kind of a cleaning up of the carotid artery. And they, they, apparently the doctor scared them, saying there's some risk. So she says, we're kind of afraid. Would you pray for my husband that he'll get through this successfully? Did you see how the spiritual climate just changed in my neighborhood? I'm no longer the neighbor they don't like. I'm, now I'm their intercessor. Now I'm their intercessor. Do you see what I mean? That's how a felt need leads to, to ministry. That's a small step, but it really works. Okay, your turn. Oh, there it is. Okay, so what I wanted to ask is, um, we say that Christians should um, get into, or maybe get into political offices. So what is the prototype and strategy when now the Christian gets into that political office? Because at that point, they have authority over the jurisdiction or area where they are, they are leading or serving. So how then do they take hold of that community or area for God? Amen. I think there's two responses I'd like to give. The first one is, before you even get elected to a political office, we can have, remember what I said, pray for kings and all those in authority, that, they may, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and reverence. Speaking peace to your political officers will bring change in their lives. We've seen that in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, the, the mayor got saved, and he opened the door for the pastor to start helping get rid of the cartels because they had been blessing the, the mayor. The second part of your question is, what happens if you run for political office? And I'm very excited about people that are doing that. I think you need to realize that you bring the presence and the power of the living God into the, your office. And, and I've never done that, so I can't speak from authority, but I can tell you, I think we need more people to do that. More people that are brave. Ed Soloso is going to write a book. He said, I'm going to write a book called How to Swim in More Dirty Water Without Drinking It. <laughs> That's the subtitle for his Transformation in Government book. <laughs> but, I, but I'm thinking, you've got, to, you've got to see yourself as a mobile Ark of the Covenant. And speaking peace over everything and everything, everybody in your, in your administration is, the, is kind of the critical success factor that brings. In other words, don't do anything different than I've just told you. You bring the presence of the power, and when you speak peace, you're releasing the presence of God over anybody that you're in contact with. And especially if you're a spiritual authority, that's key. That's a key concept. When I do intercession in a company, I need the CEO's permission to go into that company. I don't, I don't just walk in and, and do what I do. I, I go in there and I ask for permission, and I come under the spiritual authority of that person. So if you're a person in authority, you have that authority. And you can carry this up. And you can be a minister in the marketplace. Okay? Is that enough? Thank you. Oh, one last question. Where's the last question? Okay, I just wanted to, to oh. add to you, Rick, because since I'm Nigerian, bring it a little bit home. Um, one of the things that attracted us to this ministry when we first came in contact a couple of years ago was that I'd been to conferences. I had never been to a conference where the not just the presence of God was tangible in a group of over 800 people, but the love of God, 
the father's heart was palpable. I had not seen a place where ministers were honoring ministers, marketplace ministers, um, it didn't matter whether, you know, what level you were in, CEOs, everyone was recognized as a minister because that's the commission that Jesus had given. Everyone was recognized in their own place. It was, it was palpable, and I had a conversation with Poncho, and I said, how did you change um, Sudan Quares? I said, we, we, Nigeria, we have similar problems, and he laughed and said, with the Father's love, it's possible. I never forgot that. And you prayed a prayer of compassion today. That is something the Lord needs to infuse in us as a people. Because without compassion, it can't work. But I have seen compassion in people who are changing their cities. Ordinary people, not, I'm not talking about ordained, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. God can do, you know, extraordinary things if we open up to the Father's love. And I wanted to just say to, to you that one of the things that we've also learned um, in, in this ministry is that transformation is a process. It starts from personal to family, Amen. to your sphere of influence before your city and your nation. It's not an event. It's a process. And those strongholds in our personal lives must be broken. Otherwise, you cannot take the city. You, otherwise, you get to Asurok and you make the same mess that every, you're you know, complaining about every other person. That stronghold in our lives is always the first step to transformation. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.